I am so excited to be going through the book of 1 John. Uh, we are in chapter 3 today. And uh, we are going to be learning about what is it like to live at full volume. What is it like to live at full volume? Last week, John focused our attention on our relationship with God and the fact that he calls us his children. God loves us and Satan cannot stand us. He despises us. Why is that? Because again, God calls us his children. If you are a child of God, you have got the inheritance that God gives to his children. You have got a place in the family of God that Satan used to have, but he was banished from, that he was kicked out from. And, and Satan knows that he cannot take God on one-on-one. So what does he do? He goes after God's most prized possession to hit him where it hurts, and that is his children. Many of you in here are parents and grandparents, and I know you would say, if something bad were to happen, you would much rather it happen to you than someone that is your child or someone that is very dear to you. And God knows that Satan is gunning for his children. But that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. That is why he sent us the Holy Spirit to intercede for us as we live in this life. But for believers in the early church, and even still today, the test of a true Christian's love for God is the fact that they remain with God. That they remain with God. Remember, the term remain means to dwell. It means to to pitch a tent. That means to take up root. You're not a visitor. You are living with God. You remain in Him in the good times and in the bad times. There are times when families, you will have, I guess what you would call, heated discussions. But you live there. Your house is there. Your bed is there. You remain there. Even though you don't always get along perfectly, you work through those times. You work through those arguments. You work through those difficulties because you want to remain as a family, remain with one another. And we are to remain with God. But in the early church, there were many that decided not to remain with God. They left the church. They left God. They left their faith. They abandoned their faith. They turned from God to follow their own selfish desires. So in today's passage, John begins to turn the volume up on what it means to love. We talked last week about we need to love God because God is love. We need to love Him more than we love the world. We need to love Him more than we love ourselves. We need to love Him more than what Satan dangles in front of us. So to turn it up to full volume, we see that God wants believers' love for others to be loud enough that it draws them to His Son, Jesus. He wants us to turn up the love in our life so loud to where others will be impacted by it. So my question is to you and to me. If others would rate the volume of your love for God, where would they rate you? Would they say, you are blasting it? Or would they say, I can't hear you? Or would they say, I didn't know you were a Christian to start with. 
We need to take the love of God and show it in our lives. Where would you rate yourself? But the, the fact of it is, is that I don't think anybody in this room, especially myself, would ever say that I have arrived at the maximum volume and I am doing everything I can for the Lord. Because we're not. We're flawed. And, and we can always have room for improvement because we know that we are not going to become perfect until Jesus Christ makes us perfect at the glorification of our bodies. When He comes back and we join Him to spend eternity with Him in eternal life. But I've been told many times in my life to turn down the music. Have you ever been told to turn down the music? Some of you probably tell me to turn down my voice right now. I understand. That's okay. But I, I don't know. I guess I, when I was younger, I really liked it loud, and then I grew up. I'm sorry. I still like music loud. And if, if others would tell me to turn it down, you know, I, I would be respectful, but now that I'm older and wiser, but at the moment, when I was young, I could not be quiet with my music. I like to feel the music. I like to, to feel the beat. I like to uh, just be immersed into this music, and I, and I like to be loud. And if you don't like loud music, i got news for you. You're going to be miserable in heaven. Because Revelation chapter 14, verse 2 says, I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was also like a harpist playing on their harps. There are going to be stringed instruments in heaven. There are going to be trumpets in heaven. There is going to be thunder in heaven. As, as great as God is, I do not think there's going to be elevator music in heaven. Every note, every voice, every string is going to resonate the love of God. And as we, as His children on this earth, we are to do the same while we are here. I can remember talking about loud music. I remember when I was a teenager and I decided that uh, I was going to play the bass guitar. And I'm sure that my mom thought, oh, great, mom and dad both. But they knew I was having a tough time as a teenager. So they went out and they bought me my first amp. It's about like this big, big old 15-inch speaker and a, and a, a dime store bass guitar. And I, I plugged it up, and I, I put on the record. Uh, Kaylin, those are big round vinyl things that you put down on a needle, okay? All right? Okay? And ju just to make sure everybody knows. So I played the record, and I turned that thing up, and I was playing it, and I thought it, it needs to be loud. And I finally turned it up enough to where I heard the walls shake. And that was enough. And so I kept playing, I kept playing. And before I knew it, I mean, I was just blasting it, having a good old time, lost in my own world. And all of a sudden I heard, crash! And evidently I had vibrated the screw loose from the light and the ceiling. And it, the whole thing just fell right there in front of me. So uh, needless to say, my parents are probably not happy with that. But I loved it loud. I, I just, I could not, I could not take it in a low level. When I was in college, I played in a band. And for some reason, we thought it would be a good idea one summer we, uh, we had a band that had this huge sound system. We had the, the bright idea to set it up in our dorm room. Now, I am talking, there was no space to stand, let alone put all these speakers and all these things. But, but sure enough, we cranked it up and we were playing it. And about that time, there was a knock on the door. 
There was a security guard. Oh, my goodness. She was so cute. She was probably about 50 or 60 years old. And no lie, she was about this tall. And we opened the door, didn't see anything, looked down, there she was. She didn't say a word, she just went. Put her arms down and said, turn it down. So we were respectful, and we turned it down. But but those are probably many of the times where you probably, when you were younger, liked music a little loud. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But uh, even to this day, if the, the music is too loud, Donna goes to bed before me, and I try to be respectful, but sometimes... The action is just too good, you know. You just you, you cannot take it quietly. And then she gives comes out and gives me that loving look, and I know it's time to turn it down and put on my headphones. But you know what? I, I would venture to say for any of us in here is that it's one thing when you're talking about music, when you're talking about sound, when you're talking about things that you enjoy to listen to. But right now in America, in this world today. The world is telling Christians, sit down, shut up, keep your volume down, keep your voice low, and let us live our lives. That is the message. The world does not mind that we have worship services. The world does not mind that we have our concerts. The world does not mind that we have our radio stations. But much like a pet, a dog that has been neutered, they know that we are incapable of being effective in reproducing Christians in the lives of others and making a difference in this world. They want us to keep the volume low. And that is not what God's Word tells us to do. He tells us to crank up our voices. And now when He says that, now remember when He talks about love, in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say that, that words and sounds are without love? An annoying, clanging symbol. So, how do we crank up the noise? How do we crank up our voice in a way that God wants us to do? We do it through love. John wants our love for God to be so loud that it affects others. And our love should move us to feel compassion for others. As we look at our passage today, we're going to see that our full volume love exposes our motives. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Full volume love exposes our motives. It says in verse 11, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Let me camp here just for a minute. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. We are going to learn more in this lesson, in this passage John writes, but I'm going to tell you, I remember what it was like to be a teenager and wanting to fit in. It is the, the most driving factor for most teens, and, and you know, like I thought that when I turned 18, or I went to school, or when I got married, that all that would stop. But let's be honest, folks. It doesn't matter what age you are. You always want to belong Somewhere. 
You always want to fit in. And I've got news for you. If you are a child of God, you do not belong in this world. We are in the world. We are not of the world. If the world makes you uncomfortable, that's a good thing. The problem is, in churches and in Christians' lives today, is that we have become so like the world we can't tell the difference. We've turned the volume down, so to speak. But in verse 14 it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I want to focus here in verse 11 where it says, This is the message. Let let me boil it down to the most simplest of terms. John's writings teaches us the truth about God and the test of the authenticity of our relationship with the Lord. So that we can know that we are a child of God or if we are not. It says this is the message in verse 11. If you go back and look at John 1, 1 John 1, 5, it says, Now this is the message we have heard from him, declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. That is his first portion of his message. The second one is 1 John 3, 11. It says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Well, where am I headed to? Our message that we need to crank up is this message right here. Let's go to our next slide. The message here that says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you're going to think I'm being cheesy and trying to to play to your emotion, but this is the honest truth. That's why I love this church. You're not perfect, okay? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're not a perfect church. And I am not a perfect pastor. But the love that we feel and the love that we experience in this church is contagious. And so it tells me as a pastor that we have people that are authentic in their faith. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple. If you have love for one another... John's theme is not an either-or statement here. Here is what full-volume love is. And if, if you get this, you could probably close your Bible, close your notebook, and go home, and you have got the gist of the sermon today. Full-volume love is this. Love God, love others. Can you say that? Love God, love others. That is the sermon. Amen. Let's go home, right? Love God. You're like, really? Is this a trick? Love God, love others. It is so simple, yet so profound. So profound, in fact, that John goes into greater detail in his passage. And he mentions Cain here. And we see here that a Christian's love should be continuous, not continual. Do you know the difference between the words continuous and continual is? I didn't know, so I had to look it up, so I'm going to tell you. Continual means to start and stop, while continuous means never ending. We don't need to show our love for others that comes from our love from God as a start and stop process. 
It is continual. It is loving people when they do things that please us. It is loving people when they do things that aggravate us. It is loving people when they do not love us back. And Jesus was the best example of that. But the reason he is, he is focusing on continual love is because if you remember last week, he was saying the mark of an unbeliever is someone who can live in continuous sin and not feel bad about it. He wasn't saying that if you commit a sin, you're not a Christian last week. He was saying if you live in sin and you are not convicted of it and the Holy Spirit is not working in your life, then you very well are not a true believer. Because the Holy Spirit residing in you cannot allow you to be in sin and live like that. And so now he takes the other side of that and says, if you cannot continuously Love others. It's the other side of the spectrum. If you cannot continuously love others, then you need to question the genuine authenticity of your faith. And then he goes to Cain. This is the only Old Testament reference that John makes in these epistles. He, he talks about Cain, and if you would allow me, you can either listen or go to your Bibles. In Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to read the first eight verses just so we can remind ourselves of the story of Cain and Abel, if you know that uh, Cain and Abel were the first sons born of Adam and Eve, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So we see that Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a what? Farmer. Okay? In the course of the time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel presented an offering some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Well, Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, you won't be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you you must not let it rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel. He attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. We see two sons. And we see two motives. This is why John goes back and he's writing to people that know of the history of Cain and Abel. And we see two brothers, two different motives. Cain's motive originated from Satan. Listen, when we read this, Cain was not an atheist. He was not an evil Satan worshiper. He was a son to Adam and Eve. He was a brother to Abel. And they were worshiping. They were giving offerings. So he would have looked just like any other person on a Sunday morning that would come to church and would be with his family and that would drop money into the offering plate. He would look like any one of you and and be... He would look just the same. But his motives were different. 
He was not a genuine believer. He was playing the part of a sincere Christian, but his heart gave him away. It was full of hatred. John includes Cain in this passage because Cain is the exact opposite of what he is trying to teach. Cain is the embodiment of hate. And Abel is the embodiment of love. We see Abel's motives originated from God. Abel's sacrifice was a result of his faith in God. Cain's sacrifice was partial and not heartfelt. Here's the scary thing, folks. Both brothers gave sacrifices, did they not? But no one knows exactly what items they gave, but they, the, we'll see in just a moment that there was one thing that differentiated both of them. And it was not necessarily the items that they gave, but it was the motives from which they gave it. That happens to you and to me every day. When you give your time and your talents and your money and your resources to the Lord, you could be sitting beside somebody you know or you don't know, but if both of you give offerings, God's going to know the motives of your heart. He knows the motives of my heart as well. Here it is, folks. God knows when we are not sincere. God knows when we are not sincere. Abel's obedience exposed Cain's disobedience, and it caused hatred and jealousy. Let me ask you something. Why do you think the people around you that are in sin try so hard to get you to sin? Because your obedience to God makes their disobedience stick out like a sore thumb. Do you understand that? They're not doing that because they love you and they want you to be part of the crowd. You're like, preacher, that, you know, that, that happened when I was a teenager. That's long gone. No, it's not. There is always people that are, are seeking to put you in a situation to where you can be just like them, to where your sin can mask their sin. But if you do like Abel and you are doing what the Lord has called you to do, it is going to make you stick out like a sore thumb. I'm reminded of the illustration of this little middle school girl that was carrying her, her Bible to school. And this big old 12th grade jock thought he was going to pick on her and said, oh, you look so funny for carrying your Bible in school. Uh, you, you, you're just a wimp. You're just a little girl. And the little girl looked at the, 12, the 12th grade senior and says, okay, you carry it. Listen, we might be beat up. And we might be looked down upon. And we might not be the most popular. We might not have all the high political offices. And we might not have the bank account that somebody else has. But we have the approval of God. And we need nothing else. And if you are faithful, and I are faithful. I don't even know if that's right English. If you and I are faithful, our obedience is going to make others' disobedience Stick out like a sore thumb. And when that happened, Cain did what only he knew was in his heart. And that was to hate. And when hate goes unchecked, it turns into murder. Listen, I know that we live in a free country. But the more the country gets away from God's principles, the higher the degree of hate towards those who believe in God gets. 
Folks, the world hates you. Those that are doing evil hate you. And how do we counteract that? John tells us with love. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. But we also see that full volume love cranks up the action. Not only does full volume love show our motives, it cranks up the action. So we talked about the fact that our obedience makes the disobedience of others stick out. So we need to make sure that when we stick out and, I, and we are seen as different from the world, we don't need to act like we're better than them. Because if we do, we're no different than the Pharisees. We are no different than the religious leaders that thought that they were better than everyone else. 1 John 3, 16-18 says, This is how we have come to know love. And some translations say real love. It says that he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. I want us to understand this morning that conditional love, listen to me, conditional love is not authentic love. What is conditional love? The world is filled with it, with statements like, I will love you if you do whatever. I will love you until you do something. I will love you as long as my needs are satisfied. How many times have I heard people that are married or people that are dating and say, you know, after years say, well, I just don't love them anymore. What changed? How many, how many parents do you have to see that their whole life becomes the children that they raise until once the children are old enough to understand, they decide to go their separate ways. Listen, I know some of you in here have been affected by that. Maybe it was your decision, or maybe your parents did that. That doesn't mean that they are bad people. It just means that somewhere along the way, they got misguided. And they fell into the trap of what the world says love is, rather than what the, God's Word says love is. Maybe someone will say, I will love anyone but this person. Anyone but this person that has this color, or this money, or this belief, or, or whatever it might be. These statements are an indictment of our level of intimacy with God. But everyone but Jesus is guilty of conditional love. Everyone in here, if you were to be honest with yourselves, there have been times in your life where you say, I love this person, but, but I, I cannot, you know, I don't have a desire to really be around that kind of person or to reach out to that kind of person. We see that conditional love is not authentic love, but we also see that real love is selfless and sacrificial. You and I may not be called one day to give our lives up as a martyr for someone. We might. But we are called to continuously help those that are in need. 
And here's how the process of meeting needs happens. It's a three-point process. Number one, we have the means to meet a need. We see the need. And we have the will to help. Yes, folks, helping others that are in need is an act of your will. Real love is also intentional. The, the word sees in verse 17. The word sees is not a word describing God is just looking and he glances. Sees is kind of like God has taken an MRI of your heart. And he knows everything about it. He looks into our hearts. He looks into our minds. He knows our will. And he knows what needs we have. It says in verse 17, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Real love is also rooted in the gospel. Verse 18 says, Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Truth is the gospel. Why do we reach out and show others love? Is to share the gospel with them. Faith that is only talk is a false, is a false faith. God is not impressed with what you say about your faith. God is not, and others are not impacted by what we talk about with our faith. Only genuine faith with action honors God and impacts others. Do your actions clearly communicate to others that you love them? If someone were, were if we were to ask someone that knows you, do you love them? How would they describe that love? How do you communicate love to those that are around you? How do you communicate your love for God to others around you? Do you use every resource God blesses you with to spend it on you and your immediate family? Or do you put things aside to help others with? Also, we see that full volume love cranks up our confidence. In verses 19 through 24, it says, This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience. He knows all things, dear friends. If our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Understand, folks, when John is writing this, he is not writing to the people that are not churched. He is writing to those in the church. Evidently, back then, in that church, the members of the first church were having a problem showing love to other people. That doesn't happen in today's churches, does it? Of course it does. You can't sling a cow without hitting somebody for that affects. All of us have problems showing love at one point or another. Maybe it's like, I love everybody except that one person. Lord, I know you put them on my life to teach me patience. 
But you know what? God tells you to love them anyway. And you know what? Somebody might be saying the same thing about you. Or me. But God is great. What we see from this passage is that we can be confident. We can be confident of these things. God is greater than our hearts. And He knows all things. God gives us the capacity to override our self-centered attitude. Listen, I know that in the area that we are in, and in the world that we are in, there are constantly people that have needs. Okay? I mean, we could, I mean, the number of calls that we get for people needing financial help for water bills and, and power, and, and the number of times we're asked for money from the same people, we could go broke helping people and then just be done. And this is how, this is where I come down, where this passage talks about having confidence before the Lord. And I, I share with you my policy on helping others. The Bible tells me that I need to love all, and I do. And when I have needs, I mean, excuse me, when I have stuff to help, I give needs. And I pray that God, every time someone comes to this church, or me personally wanting help, I pray, Lord, is this the person I need to help? How do I need to help them? And I have to depend on the Lord to show me that in good conscience. Because, folks, let's, let's be honest. There are people out there that abuse the system. Even Jesus himself didn't heal everyone. He knew. I think... No, I know. The difference is as if it's the motive of our heart. If God gives you the opportunity to help someone, and He leads you to do it, and you say no, that is disobedience. We need to love those that are in need. And it's not just money for food. It's not just clothing. It's to see someone that is lost in their sin, and love them enough to say, look, I love you, but you're wrong, and let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done in my life. If you truly love someone, you are going to share the truth of the gospel with them. And it says in verses 21 and 22 that we can pray confidently in God's will. God, show me how I need to help this person. It also says in verses 23 and 24 that confidence only comes from Jesus. Understand, folks, that our actions will either draw attention to Christ or distract others from Christ. We will either either gather people unto the Lord or our actions will scatter people away from the Lord. But our intimacy with God is fueled by our obedience. We can stand confidently before God because He assures us that he will answer our prayers. In closing, the theme for today is this. Full volume love is to love God and to love others. Not just in word, but in action. That our actions would be those that would lead others to know him and want to know more about him. God is calling you to a greater intimacy with Him. And God is sending you to share your love, His love, with others. To reject God's love 
For to reject, to share it, is hatred. And hatred, just like Cain, leads to murder. Remember God's word to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Let the whole world hear the love God has given you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your passage of Scripture that shows us that we don't only need to love you, that we need to love others as well, Lord. You have given us a purpose in this life. You have given us a mission. Everything that we have in our bank accounts and in our homes, in our garages, in our storage rooms, in our junk rooms, everything that we have has been a gift from you that we need to use to share love with others. And so, Lord, if there's someone here that struggles with loving you and doesn't have a relationship with you, kind of like Cain, they've come to church and they worship, but their motives and their hearts are not it, that they want to know you as their Savior and Lord, that they would come forward this morning, we will pray with them, and they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are your child. But maybe there's someone in here that says, God, I will love everybody except this person. I will love everyone except this type of person. Or deal with their hearts. If they need prayer, have them to come forward. We'll pray with them. They can pray at the altar. Or they can pray right where they're at. But Lord, please do not let us as a church withhold love from anyone. Maybe someone wants to join this church, but they just need prayer, Lord. This invitation time is to glorify you. Would you please stand?